Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Charlie, hi, it is great to have you here. Hi, it's really lovely to join you. Lovely to have you, Charlie. So we really wanted to have you as part of this podcast. Um, As the title suggests, Ways Women Lead is all about um, bringing role models to girls and women out there who want to, but maybe don't know how, or maybe have some doubts or, or fears. Uh, want to lead and just to show to people that there are various ways to lead. We're discussing very different topics in uh, each episode and your story is very, very interesting and very inspiring from two perspectives. One is, of course, you are a CEO, a co-founder of of a charity. Um, You've been leading this charity for over 10 years now, which I imagine has been bringing lots of challenges to your leadership. And, and the other one, of course, is the Girls Network itself, which does a lot of work um, helping girls to perhaps show their leadership. So I would like to talk a little bit about those both aspects of your story. Narina, uh, of course, is part of the Girls Network. Uh, so we're both excited to have you here. She's experienced um, the impact you can make uh, and, and contribution you can do to, to the girls' development firsthand. So we're excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so maybe if you could start with just sharing uh, to those who don't know what the Girls' Network is, what it's about, what led you to create it. Absolutely. Um, So the Girls' Network is a mentoring charity that supports 14 to 19-year-old girls from the least advantaged communities around England. And so we match them one-to-one with a professional woman, and that woman is a mentor for them over the course of the year, uh, with the aim of building their confidence and their self-worth, developing skills they might need, but also opening up opportunities and networks that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have access to, also that they can be ambitious for whatever it is that they care about, whatever their passion is, they can be really ambitious for that, and then we can support them to realise those ambitions. So the charity came about uh, back in 2013. Um, I set it up with my co-founder, Becca. Um, We had both been teaching in uh, schools in northwest London. So we trained to teach first, and um, if you're not familiar with that, it's a, a charity that places teachers in some of the more challenging areas around the country um, you learn to teach on the job and the idea is to try and close the educational attainment gap so that regardless of where you come from you have access to the same education and opportunities so we we knew when we were starting that that the young people we'd be working with would have additional challenges that we might otherwise not expect so you know maybe they hadn't had breakfast before they came to school maybe they were caring for siblings and whatever it might be additional challenges before then engaging in the learning but despite knowing that I think getting in the classroom it really struck me how palpable some of that was how actually they were dealing with so much else beyond just geography or maths and what we both quickly noticed and we were in separate schools Beck was in an all-girls school and I was in a mixed school and both secondary But what we found quite quickly was there was this sort of other layer of challenge that the young women in our classrooms were facing. Uh, It was something we came to term a double disadvantage. So the fact that because they were girls and young women, they and other people held expectations about what that meant. 
So, you know, you've got to be pretty and neat and tidy and polite and compliant. You know, you can't get things wrong. Um, you've got to aspire to, you know, creative or caring careers, because obviously that's the only thing that girls are good at. You know, all these unhelpful myths about what it meant to be a girl or a young woman. And then that was being compounded by the fact that for many of them, they were coming from communities and families who, for the most part, were incredibly supportive and they absolutely wanted the best for their children. But they didn't necessarily have the connections, the networks, the social capital, if you like, they didn't have the role models um, that meant that those young women could see people like them doing things and could believe that they could do them. They may not even know there were opportunities, but if they did, they completely wrote them out for themselves because they saw nobody like them doing that. And so the net result of this was brilliant young people that we were getting to know every day in our classrooms who we could see had bucket loads of potential um, and talent and aspiration, yet they didn't really believe they could pursue a huge proportion of the, the opportunities that were out there. And obviously that's devastating when you see a young person writing themselves out of something. And also more widely, you know that actually the world is missing out on absolutely incredible talent and different ways of approaching problems because they're not even beginning to enter into that space. So it was really that combination that made us think, well, look, maybe we can at least introduce them to women that we know that are doing lots of different jobs and careers from lots of different backgrounds that we know are relatable and chatty and friendly so they can at least get a flavour of the things that might be possible. And we had a, a speed networking evening one evening after school and invited about 30 women we knew to meet the girls. And it was incredible because they were spending two hours having one-on-one -on -one conversations with women that they could relate to doing all sorts of cool things. And they realised that there was this route between where they were and where these women were. And there was a sense of possibility that I could do this too. And it really changed the way they started to think about themselves and their futures, even just in that short period of time. And we just thought, if you can do that in just two hours, how much more could you do if you develop that relationship over a longer period of time? If you take the experiences and the energy and the kindness and compassion from these brilliant women and you channel it to those young women that would arguably benefit from it the most. So to start with we just set up a pilot mentoring scheme with girls in our schools and focused on the skills we thought they might need and some of the characteristics, things around building confidence, things around communication. We did lots of research to see you know what are the biggest challenges and what are the biggest solutions. And we found, Ofsted did a brilliant bit of research back in 2011, I think, around girls' careers aspirations. And what they drew out are some of the key things that make the difference to how somebody um, thinks about their future and what they expect of themselves. Are one-on-one -on -one conversations with professionals, mentoring relationships, and then experiences within a workplace setting. And I've always understood that as being the things that require you to engage on an emotional level. So you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody and it, it requires you to have an emotional response, positive or negative, in a way that sitting and passively receiving in a school assembly wouldn't. You go into a physical space and you have, again, a reaction to it. It may be positive or negative, but it impacts on you. And I think that kind of emotional reaction to something is what is more likely to change the way you think about things, the things you believe. So that was really how we understood that. And so we built a mentoring programme, um, as I say, started in our schools and fairly quickly expanded outwards where there was clear need and appetite and it's always based around the fact that we have a year-long relationship between mentor and mentee as a minimum some continue informally beyond that and then mm -hmm. alongside that we've always had this network to say 
beyond your one year of mentoring, if you ever want to come back and be part of this network, it's here for you. We call it our ambassador community. So, you know, you might go off to university and see everybody's doing internships and have no idea how to get an internship in, say, journalism. So you have that network that maybe you didn't have because of where you were born and that you can tap into so that you can have access to the same opportunities you can have access to the same information and knowledge and then hopefully one day you can then come back and you can be that mentor for somebody else um so in a nutshell that's how it came about and what we still do now 10 years later so uh fast forward 10 years it's been 13 years exactly 10 years 10 years. So it started from that networking scheme uh, and now you have a charity, yes. an organization, a huge network of mentors, mentees. How has this organization grown from there? What was the difference between then and now? Maybe some success stories. It'd be interesting to hear, you know, what's changed since the first time you started and how it has made an impact on, on the girls and people involved. Yeah. So in some senses a lot has changed back in 2013 we were working initially with 30 girls and then 100 girls now we're working with 1200 plus every year wow. so we mentored more than 7000 girls over the years we've been running and that scale has been big we also pretty quickly moved beyond london we knew there was a big need in london but actually we're also very aware that there was a need elsewhere that was exacerbated by say being more rural and therefore physically further away from opportunities sometimes. Um, so we expanded quite quickly uh, around the south coast and then up into the Midlands and the northwest and the northeast. It's always been really important to me that we have that spread so that we are truly accessible across the country, but also aren't London centric. I've always believed it's really important that as much as possible, we aren't a scheme from London trying to sort of implement something that we think works. So where we can, we get our team to be from and know very well the area they're working with, working in and then hopefully have the girls network in that region owned by that community so mentors within it mentees within it feel like it's their network it's their community it's shaped by the needs that they have not just what I'm saying from wherever I am that oh you probably need this you probably need that so I guess the obvious growth has been that that geographical spread and reach uh, in terms of impact, now we've been going for so long, we've seen some of those young women go from being at school, being quite shy often, perhaps unable to look their mentor in the eye or not really thinking that they're going to go on to further education, blossoming into these incredibly confident, articulate, self-assured young women who are taking on apprenticeships or going to university or running social campaigns. I think of one of the girls that was with us in our second year and she didn't think she was going to university, but ended up, because of what her mentor taught her in sixth form, believing that actually just because she hadn't got the grades AS level that she thought she might need, she could do it again. She could try again. It wasn't a failure. It was an opportunity to go again. She got great grades. She went to university to study philosophy. While she was there, she ran a, a YouTube channel to talk to people about well, what university is like, because I think mm -hmm. a lot of her community and her network hadn't been. Um, and then she won awards for being a social campaigner. She came and spoke at some of our events and addressed a room of 250 young people and adults so eloquently. She then became the university's first ever female black mm -hmm. student union president. Um, so, you know, just as an example, that growth has been phenomenal. But it looks different for everybody. Not everybody has the same ambition. Not everybody has the same passion. And so one of the complexities, but one of the reasons I think the work we do is so important is because 
we recognize that we're not saying well there's one path that is right for everyone we're saying you are you and we want you to get to know who you are we don't want you to limit yourself we want you to explore those opportunities and then we want you to want to support you to realize those whatever you decide they are whatever is right for you so yeah so we have lots of success stories and they look very different but they're 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 all wonderful to hear every time it's fascinating isn't it and it shows the power of role models this the example that you have just given shows how it's important to see to see the role model for who you want to be how it can change your own mindset from from not believing they can achieve it to just 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 doing it it's it's extremely powerful isn't it absolutely and the the belief and knowledge that you can do one thing and then do something else and i think that's even more important nowadays i someone told me recently that the average 15 year old is going to have 17 plus careers in their lifetime now which is just madness i mean it's the world we live in but it's very different to the world that many of us have known and so actually if that's the case if you're going to be changing your job and career that frequently and that becomes the norm you actually need to be much more confident in putting yourself out there taking risks seeing things as opportunities um and i think the lockdown period has shown us that for a lot of young people as well suddenly things you thought were certain were taken away from you you might have thought you're going to sit your a levels and suddenly you're not sitting exams or you're expecting to go to university and suddenly that's not happening you're in a world of uncertainty and you can either panic and that's a very reasonable response because that's frightening <laughs> but actually you can then see the opportunity and and, and t- do something different and again we saw so many of the young people in our network setting up um, youtube channels like setting up shops online mm-hmm. being really creative in the way they dealt with what was happening to them and around them uh-huh. uh, previously in, in our previous episode we had a, a lady who has spent many years in Cisco she used to be a client director at Cisco for many years she had a successful career and she said how um, there are so many opportunities out there if the, the girls the women just knew that it's fine to reach out and ask for help she said I'm 50 years old I know a lot a lot of women in my age who are happy just just to be a mentor just if if you reach out to me and ask for help and it, but it's so important I think there are these blockages in people's mind if you don't show them absolutely and I think so I am so frequently talking not just to our young, young women but actually to adults as well a about the power and importance of mentoring being one and having one but also about how to get one and then mm-hmm. yeah, well yeah do you know what I'd love one but how on earth do I go about getting one and I think one of the things I will often say is First of all, don't be afraid to ask. People, for the most part, are really complimented if you ask for their advice. Because generally when you're approaching someone to mentor you or anything else, what you're saying is you are somebody, you've done something, you are someone that that I aspire to, I admire you, and I, I want to learn from you because I that's what you know, that's what I want for me. So that's a compliment in and of itself. So the worst thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna ignore you because they're busy, or they'll say that say no, they can't, but they're going to be complimented and odds are actually if they can't help you they may say well I can't but have you thought about asking this person or have you thought about doing this so I think one of the things is just getting over that fear of oh gosh what's going to happen if I ask I think the other thing is you know you can go in solely when you're looking for a mentor so you don't have to email someone out of the blue and say excuse me please would you be my mentor I'm thinking sort of four to five years let's meet once a week and you will help me solve all my problems I I exaggerate slightly but Mm -hmm. actually you know you might want to say hey can I pick your brains on this one particular thing can I take you for coffee it's a really low stakes um, ask 
very easy for them to say yes. And it's then a chance for you to work out if they're going to be a good match for you as much as the other way around. So I think some of these things sort of help to lower that that first hurdle about how do you go about getting a mentor. And then I think the other thing that often comes up is, well, how do you find out who should be your mentor? How do you approach somebody? Um, and again, my, my advice is usually... Well, work out what it is you want to get out of the mentoring. Like, why do you want to mentor? Is it a particular challenge you're trying to get over? Is it about shaping your role as a leader, for example? And then who do you know or who can you see that has successfully gone through that um, transitional experience or that you look up to and you would like to be like? And, and identify who those people are and then you start to approach them. But it's understanding what you are trying to get out of it, I think, first is really important. Um, and then I think when you've broken those steps down, suddenly finding a mentor is so much easier. Mm-hmm. And what about yourself? How did you build your network? Well, um, I love talking to people and I find them fascinating, which has always helped. So I will always be up for having a chat with anybody. When we started out, when we were setting out the charity, I had a lot of coffees with people. So I did exactly <laughs> what I described. I'd drop people an email and be like, hey, I've got this idea. Can I run it by you? I used to work at an organisation called the Royal Society of Arts in their education team. And my boss for a while there, the fabulous lady called Professor Becky Francis, who's gone on to lead the Institute of Education and EEF and various things. But her sort of specialism and her area of research was in the intersection of education and gender and education and race. So she was one of the first people I went to speak to to say, look, this is what we're experiencing. This is what we're starting to do in our schools. But is this a problem that is more wide than what we're looking at? What should I read? What should I do? And she gave me loads of research and loads of connections. And so I just had lots of conversations like that with thinking, well, who who might be interested in this? Who might know more than me? And let's go and have a chat and a coffee. And when you start to build a network, you find that it sort of snowballs because everybody you meet tells you that there are five other people you should meet. And suddenly, actually, you haven't got enough time to meet all the people you want to meet. So I think that's been my experience, really. But it does always come down to being interested and wanting to listen and wanting to learn. And I think that makes every conversation fascinating. Uh, what about your leadership journey? So you sound very passionate and you sound that you have just been driven by this goal of creating this network. You saw a need, you, you wanted to help. Did you struggle? Did you have doubts? What about your own journey? Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting, I think, looking backwards, because you can find a sort of thread that connects the things you've done that at the time you perhaps didn't see or feel. So I've been asked a lot about what I consider myself to be an entrepreneur. And I now say, yes, absolutely, I would. But I'm not sure I would have said that when I was younger. Yeah, I look back and I see some of the things I did, for example, at school. So running week-long charity fundraising events at school, um, taking part in Young Enterprise. Various things here that actually I look back and go, oh, I suppose that was actually quite entrepreneurial. And I think I always have been someone that will look at something and think, well, there's clearly a solution to this. Let's find it. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, helped me. But I have definitely throughout the process had doubts. You know, I have never run an organisation before. Every time the organisation gets bigger, that's the first time I've run an organisation of that size Mm -hmm. and scale. Previously, I was working in research and then a teacher. So you get lots of skills there, but I had to learn very quickly on the job. That's partly where having a network comes in real handy because you realise all the things you don't know how to do. And mm-hmm. thankfully, there are other people that do. But definitely moments of insecurity of, you know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Who am I yeah, to be doing yeah. this? Who am I to be doing this? Surely there are plenty mm-hmm. of people better to be doing it. And I think when we started out, 
what was particularly helpful was remembering, well, there might be other people that could do this, but nobody is. I am. I'm the person that step forward to say, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm committed to it and I know it's important. So I have an imperative to learn how to do it and then to do it as well as I can. And I think that sort of helped. But there's definitely been moments where we've gone into a meeting and someone said, well, you know, we presumably you have this document or this policy. And we're like, oh, yes, absolutely. And then quickly gone back and be like, right, OK, Google, what on earth is this? And, and you know, the first the first year, there was a lot of that of suddenly realising all the things perhaps we should have had in place. And I think when you sort of read, oh, how do you set up a business or a charity 101? You've got a lovely linear, first do this, then do this. And mm -hmm. the reality of it is, you don't actually. You start with mm -hmm. the idea and the passion, you do something, and then you work everything else around it until at some point you have that sort of fuller organisation. I guess uh, I've been reading this book actually recently about leadership, and it talks about vulnerability. Mm. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not know things. I, I think, and, and then the imposter syndrome comes into it, I guess. When people think they have to be perfect, that's when that's what blocks them. And um, we discussed it a lot with Narina. She's writing now uh, articles about related to leadership. Uh, one about uh, leadership being intrinsic or learned. Uh, we're discussing a lot about um, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, it, it's a huge topic, especially for younger females. Um, imposter syndrome. I'm sure if we asked any females in their jobs today if they suffer from it, they would agree with it completely. Um, so if you could give any advice that I could pass on to my mentee about imposter syndrome, what advice would you give to her? I mean, I would first say that, yes, most people experience it. And actually, yeah, the majority of people I speak to as well experience it too. Yeah. To this day, I experience it. People, you know, they, people describe that. I'm just waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and be like, I'm sorry, why are you here? So I think there's a reassurance in that. If everybody's feeling it, yeah. then we kind of chill out a bit because probably people are more worried about someone tapping them on the shoulder than they are about tapping you on the shoulder anyway. I think also that there's something about self-knowledge and humility with it all. I think actually to try and wade through the, the layers of, oh, but you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, to say, okay, well, actually, let's look at what I am good at and let's look at what I'm not so good at. And being able to be confident in both those things, at least for yourself, because I think there's a reality that given the context we're in, it isn't always the most wise thing to immediately tell everybody what you're not good at as well as what you're good at yeah um and I think knowing that for yourself enables you to step into the things you're good at and get used to telling people what you're good at and being confident in that and doing more of that and then it also I think diffuses the fear factor of the things you aren't good at over you somehow because you own them and you can say well do you know what you know actually I'm not great at for example standing up and talking in front of a, a room of people so do I need to be good at that no, fine. Okay, well then I don't need to worry about it. Do or you know maybe yes. And okay, well then people can help me. I can learn how to be good at that. So I think having that sort of space to be really honest with who you are helps to diffuse it a bit. I don't think it gets rid of it. But I think the thing I sort of touched upon about you know what you then say externally, I think there is a reality about recognizing the power dynamics in any situation. Yeah. And I think particularly when you're more junior at work, it's about understanding who are those people around you that you can trust and have your best interests at heart. And they're going to hear that and help support you. I found quite quickly as I started going into lots of different offices of people that are very senior in their roles, that for some people, I've met brilliant people, of course, um, but I had an assumed, like an assumption held that 
they were obviously knew what they were talking about. They were great at everything and they were much better than me at everything because of their position and because of their age. And sometimes, if I'm honest, because of their gender. You know, all these biases that we carry with us. Um, and as I began to actually listen, I began to realise, oh, hang on a second. That isn't true. Well, I know I actually are better than you on this. And it's not about being better or worse, but it's recognising that just because you're in that position doesn't actually mean you know any better. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful. And I think you can also learn from some of the ways that they will carry themselves because you also find that people that tell you they're good at something, for the most part, you just assume that they're right. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. You know, they say they're good at math, or they say they're good at public speaking or, or leading an organisation. Like, ah, okay. The effort mm -hmm. to like, prove them wrong it's so big no one sort of goes goes that way they just you hear it and you believe it so one of the things I say a lot to the girls we work with is get comfortable and confident saying I'm good at this because I mean odds are you actually are good at it but also that's what people are going to start to believe if you start telling you're bad at all these things the easiest thing for them to do is just to believe you're right I mean you presumably know yourself better than anyone else and if you tell me you're bad at this I guess you're probably bad at it so instead it's practicing going I'm good at this I'm good at this and like, oh, yes you are good at this. <laughs> the, the best leaders uh, usually know their weaknesses and then try and delegate the tasks that they're not as good at uh, to the best people. But yeah, as Anna mentioned before, I just did a blog article on is leadership inherent or can it be thought? So I would love to get your thoughts on this topic since you're such a fantastic leader. I think broadly you can learn to be a good leader. I think there are probably some traits that are more helpful in leadership. You know, we yeah. talked about some things that are really helpful around sort of knowing yourself, being reflective, having humility. And I think some people probably have more of that at the stage at which they become a leader than others. I don't think that's necessarily because I wouldn't like to say whether that's nature or nurture, right? I think probably yeah. a lot yeah. of that though is nurture. I think a lot of that is actually whatever experiences you've had throughout your life leading up to that point of leadership. Has probably shaped that but I think a lot of that you can learn I think being self-reflective is so important being able to listen to feedback is so important I also think being a bit of an optimist is quite important being a leader I think you know you need vision you need to be able to solve problems as well as see them so I think that's quite important so again I think some of these might come easier to some people than others but I do think you can cultivate them and then become a great leader I also yeah. think there's not one blueprint of being a leader did you, you know. read my blog article by any chance? No, is that what you wrote? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's no wrong or right answer, but that's the right answer. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think that's really true. So actually, your leadership might look very different to somebody else's, and you'll hopefully will bring yourself to it. It's about that authentic leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and we all talk about leadership as this one thing, but there's so many external factors that feed into it, you know, the company you're at, the people that you're working with. So, yeah, it's a very complex yeah, topic. So. And I think for me, it's always been a little bit about you know, building your toolbox of different things. So yeah. it's not ch changing who you are. It's just equipping yourself with more tools and learning what tool is right for what job. Exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of what you said actually feeds um, to what we do as well. Um, first of all, the self-awareness is so crucial because if you understand who you are, what your strengths are, what your uh, areas of development are, and then your context, what do you need to be um, to achieve your goals within a specific context? 
then you know which areas you need to focus on. Maybe certain weaknesses, maybe you don't need to touch them. You, they can stay your weaknesses, right? <laughs> because they're not just not important to achieving your goal. So uh, yes, yeah, self-awareness is key. This will help you to develop the, the right skills. Also self-awareness, that there's, there are studies uh, telling how the ability to receive feedback uh, actually is one of the strong contributors of your growth and progression within an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being self-aware, being open to feedback, being open for discussions is is uh, is important. And then something else you said was really interesting is those discussions, which which again, network is so important because if you see pe- that people go through the same struggles, just makes you feel more human and makes you yeah. realize that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. And someone's been through this before. So, you know, they might... Yeah. Some wise words, or at very the very least, can sort of sympathise when I'm having a tough day of it. <laughs> the best thing about meeting with my mentee is uh, just talking her through my struggles, and then she seems very shocked when I tell her this is this is what I did. I failed, but then I did this even better, and she's like, oh, "That's amazing!" So it's it's great to be able to share your own stories, you know, to tell them that it's okay because when you're such a young age and you look at adults you know it seems like it's so far away from what you're actually being but in reality we're just normal absolutely and you look and you think people have it all together so as children and as adults we look at that so quick to fall into that trap because you forget everybody has their own inner world and all their own struggles as well right uh what has been the best day for you as a leader (sighs) the best day (laughs) That's really hard. I think the best days, if I can cheat slightly, have been the days when we've brought the girls and young women from the network together and they have been up on the stage or in small groups, particularly up on the stage, and they have shared their journeys. They've Mm -hmm. talked about where they came from. They've talked about the power of the mentoring journey. They've talked about where they are now. And like most excitingly, they've talked about their ambitions and what they want to do and what they are going to do. the power of that peer sharing is amazing and hearing from their mouths what they're doing, but also how they're going to shape and change our world. It just gives you so much hope and so much excitement and so much pride to see where they've come from. But actually, if our Girls Network ambassadors go on to lead the world, we're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal. Fantastic. And um, so continuing from this, a lot of our clients, for example, Every organization, I think, out there is looking at diversity and inclusion and how they can make their uh, workforces more diverse, more inclusive. What advice would you give to organizations? Can organizations collaborate with you? In what ways? What mistakes, perhaps, do you see organizations do when developing their diversity and inclusion? It's a big question. I suppose some of the key things for me, I think one is really understanding where you're at first. Mm -hmm. So what's going on in your organization and data is really important and talking to people is really important to really understand that properly. I think some of the things I've seen organizations not do so well is wholesale taking initiative from somewhere Mm -hmm. else, just implanting it into their own organization and expecting it to work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might work sometimes, and like little elements of it but actually the things that work are the things that are driven by the circumstance of that organization the challenges the ambitions the aims and the people so i think that's really important in terms of attracting diverse talent so that's one of the ways in which working with us can be really useful so firstly it's about 
sharing the work your organisation does with a whole pool of talent that may not have heard of you. Secondly, then it's giving them opportunities to access internship programmes or jobs or work experience within your organisation to hopefully sort of attract that pool of talent in. Um, one of the things I would say is that the organisations that seem to be doing really well in attracting diverse talent are those that are thinking about what the experience is for that young person in, in accessing that organisation. So where are the barriers to access? Is it that actually you have to have certain technology to be able to access it? Is it that you have to be really great at talking about yourself on paper to be able to access it? Do you have to have certain experiences already or qualifications already that will preclude young people that would potentially be brilliant but just haven't been afforded those opportunities? There's a lot of talent that gets missed out on there. Um, and then are you going to the same places all the time? I think um, a lot of organisations are surprised when they keep attracting the same people but they keep going to the same places. Um, and so, of course, they're going to get the same people. So where are the young people you want to attract and how do you get to them? And, or who, who knows where they are? Because you might not know where they are. So who yeah. might know that can help you find them? I think that's really important as well. Or even targeting different universities. You know, Cambridge and Oxford are great, but let's be real, they probably don't have the most diverse talent. So... Just different universities can attract more diverse candidate, basically. Absolutely. Or not universities at all. Do you need yeah. somebody to have a degree to do this job? Maybe you don't. Um, there's a great organisation um, now called Multiverse, you may have heard of, or previously White Hat, but they're working to raise the quality and calibre of apprenticeships, um, working with organisations um, as well as young people to make sure that's a really viable option as well as university. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes like younger candidates feel like they have to work harder than people who didn't go to universities and it's a really great initiative that Multiverse is doing. I suppose the um the, the final two things I'd say particularly in terms of working with the Girls Network um so the mentoring and actually nobody will be able to talk to this uh, better than me but our experience is that for those employees that have an opportunity to mentor that can be really helpful for them too, because actually you end up, number one, you develop your sort of coaching, mentoring, leadership skills yourself. But also I think you can't help but play back to yourself the things you're asking your mentee. So well, why why can't you do this? Or what's the worst thing that happens if you if you were to do that? You know, what's the worst thing that might happen? And you start playing that back to yourself. And then I think actually as an individual, as an employee, you become much more confident yourself. You take opportunities you might otherwise not taken we see mentors in our network who have taken promotions they didn't have the confidence to take before because of their mentoring experience or have gone and changed career to something they've always dreamed of doing but never thought they could and off the back of being a mentor they're like do you know what I'm going to do it so I think it has a really positive impact on employees and organizations in that sense as well and then the final thing that we we're just starting out with but I'm really excited about the potential of is our girl-led mentoring program where we are taking some of the young women that have been through the mentoring program who are a little bit older, 17, 18, 19 upwards, and we are training them and matching them with leaders in different organisations. So the idea is that they are able to support that leader, to give them a different perspective on something, to work on a joint project together, to hopefully help that leader make better decisions because they are more informed. They've got a new lens through which to look at the things that they are doing. And they have an immediate connection back to young people young women the potential talent pool that they are 
trying to attract or the potential customer bank they're also trying to serve. So that's something I'm really excited about. As I say, it's early days, but I think the opportunity to disrupt that flow of power, that traditional flow of power down and, and broaden the view of those that are making decisions and that have their hand on the levers of power is really exciting. This is a great initiative. Do you struggle to find women mentors, to find organisations maybe collaborating with you uh, to attract them? There's a lot of appetite, I think, because people recognise the importance and the power of mentoring. Mm -hmm. It's been very interesting since lockdown, people's working patterns have changed. And for the Mm -hmm. most part, although we have, we are now launching a fully online mentoring Mm programme, the majority of our mentoring is in person. So the commitment, which isn't huge, it's a minimum of once a month for an hour over a year, for some people that has proved challenging with a change of circumstance or you know working from home much more so that's been interesting this year and recognizing we actually need to recruit much harder and get lots more volunteers to make sure that we have enough mentors for the girls that we're working with and then year on year it's always been that balance of making sure that we have enough mentors for the girls that are bringing onto the program because actually yeah. the worst thing would be to let a girl down mm-hmm. um, so we're constantly driving and it varies different areas. The Northwest at the moment is an area we really need mentors. So we're mm-hmm. really pushing the Northwest to get more mentors in so we can make sure we support the girls in the Northwest. Um, but generally across the country, mm-hmm. more mentors. Mm-hmm. We need to spread the word. I'll yeah. be excited to spread the word. <laughs> I'm constantly spreading the word about the girls network because it's great it's a great initiative for not only the mentee but for yourself like you mentioned before uh, the self-reflection I, I never thought I could be grilled so hard by a 14 year old girl but it's amazing it forces me to think about things I've never thought of about myself so yeah I always leave my sessions feeling elevated and in a great mood no, this is fantastic initiative. And as I as I mentioned earlier, all the companies we are working with are looking for ways to um, improve their diversity and inclusion. And I think the Girls Network is a fantastic way to do this. So we're going to spread the word. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlie. It was so great uh, to hear your story. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It's been great. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com. If you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.